0: All right, Matthew uh, chapter 9, our text today. We're going to be taking verses 9 through 13. What's up, Nick? Which says this, as Jesus passed on from there, there being where uh, he healed the paralytic that he just healed, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I forgot to wear my sinners-only shirt today, but this is, this is actually where it comes from. If you've seen our sinners-only uh, thing, uh, this is kind of where we, where we grabbed it, is from what Jesus uh, says here. Now, uh, we've all come from different places, different backgrounds, different experiences. We're all wired a little different. Um, but I would um, venture to guess, in all of that, that we all um, have the same thing in common as far as something that we hate, uh, and that's taxes. <laughs> how many of you like taxes? If you do, you, you may need to leave. <laughs> you don't belong here. Uh, we hate taxes. Uh, so, so we don't like, ta- how many of you do your own taxes? How many of you enjoy that? Now, um, how many of you love what your tax dollars go to? This is a, this is actually the one that I think gets me the most, uh, and and I can di- I can get down with some of it. Like I can dig some of it. Like I I, I get that we all share roads and and we all share um, emergency responders and stuff like that. And so I, I'm I'm down with paying into that stuff. Like that's necessary. But but when it comes to like going to uh, You know, the education that it goes to, to teach our kids the stuff that it's teaching. And uh, uh, some of it trickles into um, what they do with babies, which I don't agree with. And like when you start looking at how far it reaches and how they're distributing my dollars, it's like, no, no. Um, And and yet I've always taken what Christ says to heart. Me and my wife, we've been business owners for uh, 25 years. A lot of what we get paid daily is in cash. And I don't know how many times I've got home at the end of the day and looked at the stack and been like, no one needs to know the difference. But praise God by the grace of God that what Jesus says rings. And even though I hate where it goes, you know, it, they get it. They get it, right? How many of you, I'm going to ask you a weird one now. How, how many of you like tax collectors? Like it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Right? Like it, it's a little more of an abstract concept because we, we don't have to meet them. We don't have to know them, right? Uh, We uh, we don't have them like literally physically knocking on our door, like constantly pestering us for our hard-earned money, right? We have online banking. We have online transactions. All the fleecing that goes on, goes on 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 online. Like we don't have to know who it is that's actually uh, fleecing us. Um, But they did. They did. And Matthew was one of those guys. So, so first, we really need to talk about uh, what big of a deal it was at that time to be a tax collector, how disgusting it was to everybody else in the community. Because these guys were so despised that they got their own category. I mean, we see it right here, and we see it in other, other places of Scripture. You had sinners, and then you had tax collectors, that's how bad they were. They got their own deal. Like, we, we, they, we had to sep- they had to be parsed from the sinners. And I mean, think about this, because I think we kind of joke about it. And again, you and I, like, there's not a lot of weight to the tax collector. There's not a lot of hate that we have, uh, like, like they did. Think about this. They didn't have sinners and then thieves. They didn't have sinners, right, and then adulterers. They didn't have sinners and murderers. They didn't have sinners and rapists. They had sinners and tax collectors. Like all all that other stuff, the worst stuff that you can imagine goes into the sinner category. It doesn't touch that one. And and so this was was a big deal. This was a a serious deal to them. So there were sinners and then there were uh, tax collectors. In fact, besides it getting its own category, there was a popular saying and an understanding in Jewish society at the time, which was that the Jewish tax collector could not be redeemed. They were an unredeemable person to the rest of their countrymen, to the Jewish community. They were lost. They were straight up, without hope, and unpardonable. So so if you were a tax collector during Jesus' time in Jerusalem, you were the worst of the worst. And here... Um, to maybe help us understand this a little bit, are are, are two reasons why. Um, Number one, because they were working for the enemy. They were working for the enemy. Who was the enemy at this time? It was Rome, right? So so like the Jews were under Roman occupation, and because of this, the majority of the taxes, the Jews' hard-earned money was going directly to those who were oppressing them. Right, and 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 that didn't sit too well. So, so like Rome was like milking the Jews to support their world domination, right? To take away their freedom. They so 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 in a sense they knew that they were laboring to help the Romans own them. Okay, number two, uh, the the reason it's such it was such a problem is because they, the Jewish tax collector, were personally profiting by working for the enemy. They were personally doing well for themselves while working for the enemy. So, so the Romans were like never holding a gun to any, anybody's head and saying like, you got to be a tax collector for us or we're going to kill you and your family. Like that's, that's not how it went down. They were actually, the, the Jews would actually actively pursue and determine to land these positions. So there would be times like when, when the Romans would be adding tax collectors and they'd have like a job fair, you know what I mean? And people would come out and they would candidate. The Jews would come out and candidate. They would sell themselves for that position for personal gain, right? So, so they would basically, it may look like this. They would, they would basically come out and be like, if you hire me, I can get you X amount of dollars because of who I know and the neighborhood I live in and the people that I network with. Like I would be able to get you this much if you hire me. Like that's what it looked like. So these guys were actually like jockeying for position based on how well, I know it's gonna sound harsh, but this is a harsh thing, based on how well they could screw their own people, okay, in order to get Roman themselves the most amount of money possible. That's what this was. So can can you say trader, like with a capital T? These guys were traders like in, in every way, because this was truly about who could betray and exploit their people the best and the most. So how many of you like Matthew now? <laughs> right. Start to get the picture as, as to why the, the, they were considered worse than a sinner, why they had their own little category over here. Um, and, and it's also not hard to understand why the other disciples, the other misfits, might have been challenged when Jesus goes and taps this misfit and brings him in. Even they were like, look, this kind of misfit doesn't belong with us. Like, we're good misfits. He's not, you know? And isn't it just like us, like all of us, to be the harshest and the most merciless and most skeptical towards those who sin in ways that we don't, right? Like like we, we know that we were wretched and that we struggled with this and, and maybe still struggle with this and that this was our deal. But we, we always look at that person doing that thing that we would never do, even in our worst moment, and go, that, that dude's worse. That dude's bad. I'm not that bad. And uh, this is, this is kind of what they did. And so this brings us. A little bit of context to get into our text. Verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. So nugget number one is this. Jesus saw Matthew. I know that sounds stupid. I know that sounds elementary. I think it's kind of a big deal. Jesus saw Matthew. Matthew. And you think, like, well, everyone did. Like, everyone knew who the tax collector were. Everyone was fully aware of of who he was. And and not only would he come to their door, uh, but he had a, a booth that was very public that they'd be walking by every day. Like, everybody saw Matthew. But the amazing thing is how Jesus saw Matthew. That's the amazing thing the remarkable part is how he saw him. The fascinating thing is that Jesus saw him not as a disease, okay? Not, not as a guy that was unpardonable, but as a candidate for mercy. And more than that even, Jesus saw him as a, perfectly, a perfect earthly candidate to represent him and his gospel. So that's pretty, that's pretty mind-blowing. Uh, and and it, it makes me think of me. Like, I, 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 again, I, you guys hear it, I, I have no idea, and I still don't really understand why God would ever choose somebody like me, why he would tap me, you know what I mean? But when we look at our scriptures, we see that this is how he does things. His kingdom is upside down, his thinking is upside down, what he knows to be right as opposed to what you and I think is right is, uh, it, is upside down to us. And I always, I always get the, the, the picture in my head of, I get t- teleported back to elementary school, you know, when the recess bell would ring and everybody would hit the, the, the schoolyard for a kickball game and everyone would line up against the backstop and, and two of the most popular guys would be the captains, right, in school and they would pick their team and I was always last and I look at someone like, like, like Matthew uh, for, for a job like this, for what Jesus is tapping, tapping him for and, and I would think like this dude would be last, like he wouldn't even get tapped but Jesus is tapping the people that nobody expects, and I know that that's true for me in my life. Like that, he tapped me; that he had something for me to do, and that he has something for you to. Do. I've never, I've never amounted to anything in my life, most likely to not succeed at anything. That's like what it was in my yearbook, where I don't even have a picture because I was absent all the time. Like I was a loser. You know what I mean? And he comes to me and he taps me and he says, "I have something." for you to do and it doesn't make sense that he would call me to do it and it doesn't make sense that he would call you to do it but he does, he does. And and so Jesus sees Matthew in a way nobody else did and then he invites him uh, to follow him and Matthew does which seems a little bit weird to me that like there was no fight. Like, there was no uh, conversation, there was no, like, what's, what's this going to cost me, or how am I going to get paid, where are we going to sleep, where are we going to go, what's the plan? Like, like, none of that's here, he, he just goes, right? And, and, the, and, and the reason why um, he most likely did this without, without a fight is that Matthew already knew, just like all of Jerusalem, exactly who Jesus was. He already knew exactly who Jesus was, right? He would have been aware of the teachings already. He would have been aware of the miracles, the, just the crazy stuff that was going on around this guy. Everybody fully knew that. Like, it, it was out in the open. And, and so he probably already, inst- instead of just Jesus having his eye on Matthew, he, he probably already had his eye on Jesus as well, right? He was paying um, a, a, a attention to this, Um, in fact, it's possible that he was even hoping for it, (laughs) that he was even hoping that Jesus would come by and tap him. But again, the remarkable part isn't that Matthew up and followed Jesus. The remarkable part is that Matthew wasn't unpardonable to Jesus. That's the part that's fascinating here. He wasn't unredeemable to Jesus. He wasn't too far gone for Jesus. In fact, you might say that he was just the type of misfit that Jesus was looking for. And so Jesus saw him, not as a tax collector, but a person with value and worth. With value and worth. Um, If you're not aware of it down in our Lapine location, um, we have a warming center. So that, that church building where the church gathers doubles as a warming center for homeless. So if you walk into the back of it, you've got a a bunk room with bunk beds for women and a shower and a bunk room uh, for men. Like the whole thing is taken over. Like if you look at it, you're like, oh, this is set up for a warming center. A church just happens to meet in there. And I know that this was a controversial thing, it still is in ways, for us as a church to get into. Because a lot of times we look at these people and we know that a lot of how they got to where they're at is self-induced. Like a, like a lot of uh, why they're living the way, the way they're living is because of choices that they've made and they continue to make, which keeps them there. And so the, the thought is, why, why do we want to help these people, right? Like why, why do we want to enable them? Uh, but all I have to do is read my scriptures to answer that. Like to say that Jesus cared about the marginalized, the underdog, self-induced or not, the homeless, the down and out, that's an understatement to say that Jesus didn't care about that. And so I might as well, I got two, we got two options. We could not do it like always because it's easier for the church to not do things like that, or we can go ahead and do it and let God work out the difference on, on what, what it does and how it does it, right? I'd rather pick number two. So that's what we've done down there. But there was, a, there was, there was people that left the church in Lapine because we were doing that. And they're like, I'm not coming here because it changes this on Sunday mornings, because those people are staying the night, and then, oh, on Sunday morning, we can have another hour and a half in this warm place, because they're doing worship service, so they come in, and they sit, which is part of the point, they come in and sit and hear the gospel, but it's crazy sometimes, like, sometimes there's little demonic outbursts that happens, and it's like, what do we do with this, Lord, right, and that time's coming again, like in, in another couple of weeks when we open it back up. But my point is that there were people in that congregation that would look at these people and just see homeless people. And I had one of our deacons came up halfway through the season last year, and his, he was just like, you know, his eyes were kind of big, and he just looked humbled. And he goes, you know what? I can't believe I, I, I ever looked at these people the way that I used to look at them. Like, they're people. They're people. That was his epiphany that he was sharing out loud to me. These are people. And this is what Jesus does when he looks at us. When he looks at anybody, he sees people with value and worth. He didn't look at Matthew and say, tax collector. He looked at Matthew and he said, created in the image of God. And you and I need to do the same thing when we look around. People created with value in the image of their creator. Whether they're down or whether they're up. Either, either way, Jesus shows us this well. 10 and 11, and Jesus reclined, I always love that word reclined, it's so funny, uh, at table, uh, in the house. Behold, uh, as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And so Matthew and Jesus begin their relationship together by doing what all good friends do. They eat. That's, the, that's, that's like the best thing we can do together when we love each other and we're bound together. We, we, we share a meal, we eat. Now, Matthew's account just kind of has them like teleported to a table with some food, right? Uh, but the cool part is if you read Luke's account, which is found in chapter 5, verse 29, you don't have to go there, you can go there later, Luke tells us that it was Matthew who threw the party for Jesus at his own house. That's pretty rad. It says there, and Levi, that's Matthew in Luke's account, made him, Jesus, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And so this explains why this party was basically made up of tax collectors, right? I mean, if you're a tax collector, who are your friends going to be? You know what I mean? You don't have any, you know? Like, you you get on your phone, you bust out your contacts, and it's like, yep, tax collector, tax collector, you know. And every once in a while, maybe every fifth one is like sinner, <laughs> you know? Like, so, like, that, that's, and, and so he's throwing this party, and, and he needs people to fill the house because it's a party. So he's like, i got to let everybody that I know to come be the part of this party. So he gets, he gets on his contact list, and he sends out a mass, you know, text to everybody. And they all, like, you're not going to believe who I have at my house. Like, you've got to come hang out. Right, And and so that's what he does, and that's why we get all these people, and they're they're reclining together. And that word is interesting because it's like they're relaxing. Like they're chilling. Like everything, everything is good. So this isn't some formal, you know, business meal. Like everything is good with everybody that's present. That's what it means when it says that. And herein lies the problem. This is the whole dilemma. Because back in the day, if you sat down, if you reclined with someone at table and ate, that meant that they were in. It meant that they were in. It meant that they were accepted. It meant that you belonged together in each other's company. And this is what Jesus is found doing with Matthew and his buddies right out of the gate. And this is why the religious police take notice and they show up to crash the party. You all remember high school, right? You remember the high school parties? Like you'd all be doing your deal, and everything was fine in the world until someone yelled, cops. And then you were out the back door, and the side door, and the trap door, and like anywhere you could go to whatever car you could get to because they were coming to ruin everything, right? And this is kind of what we continually see with with these, these religious police. Is there always coming to crash the party that Jesus has got going, crash what he's doing, right? The act of Jesus reclining and eating with Matthew and his band of misfits meant that Jesus accepted them. It meant that he even approved of them. Not everything they did, but he approved of them, right? It was an expression of belonging and friendship and reception, and so here's nugget number two, okay? I've said this before. I know you've heard it before. If you do not have any ongoing connections or relationships in your life with non believers, fix it. Fix it. I'm serious. And I know that sounds wrong. I know you were probably even taught the opposite growing up in church. But I'm going to teach you the opposite of that. Amen. Fix that. Followers of Christ do not exist on earth to separate and to isolate and to segregate and hide out by only sticking with their own kind. We need each other, but that's not the totality of who we should be spending our time with. According to Jesus in John chapter 10, his sheep go in and they go out to find pasture. And we go out as gospel carriers. We go out as gospel carriers, representatives of the gospel of grace to sinners. So it goes without saying that if, you've never, if you are never around any, how in the world can you possibly accomplish this? How in the world can you possibly accomplish that which Jesus has left you on earth to do, which is to share his gospel with people who need it? In order to do that, we have to be around them. We are called to be intentional in having relationships and connections with unbelievers, not so that we can become like them, but so we can dispense the love and heart of Christ to them. Two different things. The influence is to go from us to them, not not them to us, right? We are to be in the world, but not of the world. So we got to mingle, we got to be bumping elbows, but not be influenced. We are the influencers, right? This is why we need to suit up every single day with the armor of God, Ephesians chapter, what is it, six? We're gonna call that, that's what it'll be right now. All right, this is why we suit up every single day is so that we can go out and and not get overtaken, right? Not be captured by the enemy, right? I wanna give you a practical example of what this looks like because you're like, well, what does that look like? Okay, we're supposed to go out and we're supposed to have relationships with non-believers, but uh, that sounds kind of sketchy. Like, what do you do? I, um, every month I get my hair cut, barber, right? There's a lady that opened a barber shop here that's a Christian, used to come to church here. I know her, she's a great gal, cuts hair well, right here, okay? But I've been going, two years ago I went to Bend and I just randomly sat in some dude's chair and we hit it off. And this dude's gnarly. This dude is as foul as they come. Like I thought that I used to like be super inventive with the way that I would use language. Like this dude, I don't maybe he's unpardonable. Sometimes I think this dude's unpardonable, but I love him. And we have music in common, we have style in common and hot rods and and all that stuff. So we've got these things, right? And so for two years, I've been going and sitting in this chair. Now, it would be easier for me to go right down the road from my house to Heather, who's a Christian, and support her. But I don't. I I take that extra time, and I take that extra gas money, and I go to Ben to sit in Jordan's chair. Okay. And I want you to pray for him. that's why I've thrown his name out. He needs it. But I have had two years of establishing being able to establish who I am and why I'm the way that I am as I sit in his chair. And because of that, we've had some very significant conversations. Another one came two weeks ago, which was the last time I was in his chair. And we always start when I sit down, "How you doing, dude? How's life going?" And so that's my question to him, and he starts to break down. There's a grown man, a strong man, a big man, and he's, he's tearing up. And he goes, this has been one of the worst weeks of my life. Um, him and his wife do not have kids. Uh, their dog is their child, and he lost that dog that week. And he said there was even one point this week when I thought, I don't even know if I can live and go on without my dog. And so I got to slip into, with love and compassion, a message of hope, a necessity for Christ, the one who brings it to us. And he listened, and he softened, and at the end I paid my bill, and I walked up to him, there was actually the barber chair was in between us, he was on the other side, and I walked up and I stuck my hand over his heart on his chest, and I said, I, I wanna pray for you right now. And he's, he looked so scared, the dude was like, he looked scared, <laughs> like what, what's gonna happen? Like we can't do this, I can't do this. You know what I mean? And I prayed for him, I prayed that he would experience the power of God and the necessity of Christ and the goodness of God, the peace of God, the hope of God through Christ. And afterward, uh, he immediately started crying and he comes around the, the, the chair and he just bear hugs me, like picks me off the ground crying. And, and I think it's because of two things. I think one, because I just cared. You know, we would become good buddies and, and I showed him some, some sympathy and I just cared. But, but I, think, I think the thing that really touched him is that I actually took him to a place where he knows he doesn't belong. I took him to the Father. And he doesn't think he's allowed there. And I, and I think that's what crushed him. This is a practical example of how you and I don't have to go out and be weird or do weird things, but have Christians in our life. A, bar- a barber's a good one because you're in their chair for an hour or so, they can't go anywhere, neither can you, Like they, they have to sit there and listen to you. <laughs> a conversation has to happen, or it's gonna be super awkward, right? If you're into tattoos, boom. There's anywhere from one to six hours in someone's chair and they can't go anywhere and they want their money at the end They even want a good tip at the end. So so they may even like a nod to some of the nonsense (laughs) you're saying. You know what I mean? Where are you shot? Small businesses in your community your mechanic. I Mean that's gonna be a lifelong deal as long as we have cars like we have them, you know Your mechanic look I know it makes sense That Christians support Christian businesses? I get that. We all all want to see each other do well. What I'm saying is that that's not the only option. Think outside that box. Sometimes the best person to establish that relationship with, that ongoing connection, is not the Christian in certain circumstances. It's the non-Christian. Why? So that they can hear the greatest news they've never heard yet. God wants us to give it to them. Jesus is in trouble because he's sitting, connecting with non-believers, messed up people. But he's doing it, and you and I should too. All right, I'll take any emails or anything you got on that one. (laughs) So the cops show up, back to our narrative, crash the party, start the interrogations, right? Uh, Because it's unacceptable to be reclining with such people. Because for them, for the Pharisees, it was all about appearances. And appearance was all about associations. Who you hang out with. The goodies stay with goodies, and the baddies stay with baddies. Because after all, that's what God would want, right? And little do they know that God is in the middle of this room. He's in the middle of this thing. He's in the middle of this party, this wrong thing. That's going on in their minds. And then God speaks. 12 and 13. When he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Brothers and sisters, the church of God is not a club for the clean, it is a hospital for the helpless. It is a hospital for the helpless. Christ has made us clean by the washing of his blood, but that's because we knew we needed a spiritual shower. We know that we're helpless. We know that we have a problem, and that's why this room exists. That's why it's populated, I'm assuming is because we're a bunch of people that knew we had a deficit, a sin deficit that we could not fix on our own. We're we're helpless people, and this was the hospital. This was the place that we needed to come. Because this is true, the church is made up of sinners only. The true church. The invisible church. Sinners only. Spiritually sick only. Because Jesus came for sinners only. Salvation is for sinners only. Heaven and God's eternal and glorious kingdom is for sinners only. Now, I do want to clarify what I mean by that statement, sinners only, because there are some who attempt to misuse it for their own means. So I want you to know that what we mean by it, what it says on our shirts that you guys wear, is what Jesus means by it. That's what we mean by it. Uh, that those who uh, know that they're sinners are those who he came for. It's implied in that text. Jesus isn't saying, hey, some of you in this world are uh, not sinners and uh, some of you are. No, he knows that all are sinners, right? All fall short of the glory of God. Everybody. So what's implied is that he came for those who know it, who accept it, who see it and own it. That's what he's talking about. It does not mean I can sin now. I can do whatever I want. You know what I mean? Like, like, like I, I can do any, anything that I feel like doing and it's just fine. I'm going to feel fine about it because after all, Jesus is pro-sinner and I am one. So sinners only, bro. No. That's, that's not What's being said. In fact, if somebody actually believes that and thinks that way, they have not been born again. That's a strong statement, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. If someone actually believes that, they can do whatever they want, they can sin, and everything is fine, Jesus doesn't care. They have not been born again because the grace of God is effectual. There is power in the grace and the mercy of God. Not only that, furthermore, he gives us the third person of the Trinity that takes up residence inside of us. And he is always, always coming against that which our flesh is trying to do. There's a battle that takes place inside of us. So we don't just feel fine. Do we sin? Yes. But if you don't hate it, if you're not bothered by it, if you're not paying any attention to it when it happens, I don't don't know what's going on with you. Because the, the, the Spirit of God will testify against that thing and lead us back to the Father, away from that thing. The grace of God has power when it comes upon us. And that is power to see what sin is and then hate it. Walk away from it. Fight it. Wrestle to get out of it, to break free from it. Okay? That's not what Jesus is saying here. Sinners only, do whatever you want. God saved us. No. Those who know that they have a sin deficit is who he came for. Why? Because those are the ones that are going to need a hospital. Right? Those are the ones who are going to check themselves in. So this is kind of what we're what we're getting here and his analogy um it's 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 perfect here isn't it verse 12 just like always every analogy he gives is perfect this he's got the sick and the doctor right so like how many times in your life have you ever felt perfect like normal like good and healthy and then thought to yourself i gotta go to a doctor and see what's wrong like we don't do that right now when things are wrong, that's, that's what we do. Only when something's off do we do something like that, right? Sal, salvation, heaven, the gospel, and Jesus are only for those who know there's something off inside of them because only then will we seek out the one who is on, the one who's got the remedy, the one who's got the cure, the sin doctor, you know? And you can imagine what's going on right now in the heads of these clean police, you know what I mean? Like, like I, I don't know how they're hearing this or how they're receiving this, but this, is, this has got to be some odd stuff to them because they're, they're confident that they know what God wants and Jesus has taken them to task on this, right? So, so the big question is this, what does God want? This is what Jesus is revealing here. Like, and this is the big question for you and I still. Like, isn't that what we really need to know? What we really need to come to terms with and establish? Like, what does God want? What does he want from me? Is it, this is all that we really need to know. What does God want? And here it is. Mercy. Mercy. It's like mercy. Like like what? Wait, like He wants us to have mercy on Him? Like no. no, no. He, he wants to have mercy on us so that we can then go forth and have mercy on others. This is what He desires. He wants us to seek his mercy so that after tasting and experiencing the goodness of it, we may go forth and dispense it to others. The problem with these dudes is that they've got this whole religious thing covered. Like, they don't need his help. They don't need anything from God. That's the whole problem. They have no no conscious need at all whatsoever of a rest in the mercy of God, only a need to work for it to their own glory. But they need it. They need his mercy. They need to receive the mercy of God so that they can see straight and as a result find joy in loving people who are not like them. In a sense, this is kind of what's being said in this little statement, mercy not sacrifice. This is my my blow-up edition of it. Jesus could be saying to them like, you guys are up there in your temple, together, tucked away from the world in a holy huddle, doing holy things, feeling good about yourselves, thinking that it's getting you God points when the game is down here, in this place, in this house, with these people, at this table. You guys think you guys think that that's the stadium, but this is the stadium. This is where it happens. This is where God is and this is what God's doing, is down here in this very room. They're not even on the field. Right? And not only are these guys not doing what God desires, they're actually looking at what God desires and calling it bad. That's, what, that's what's going on here. They're actually looking at what God desires and they call it ugly. Wrong. That's a problem. And look, I get it. Like I, I think I still do this sometimes in, in, in my life too. Like, I, I, I get it. Like When I'm putting sermons together, um, it's really nice because I can be actually tucked away in the four walls of my office with none of you, and I love you guys, but I'm alone. You know what I mean? And I'm doing this great service, right? I'm doing this God thing, this sacrifice that makes me feel religious and important before God with zero relationships. And it's, it's pleasant straight up sometimes. Like, it, it's nice sometimes. And that's why we do it. But Jesus is actually pulling their covers, pulling our covers on this type of thinking. It's easy to, to go away and do these little re, re, religious acts of things on our terms to God and stay out of the myth. This is why we harp so much on the live stream thing, okay? I get that it's a blessing. I, I get that it, it's got its, its, its pros in ways, and so we've kept it. But, but we, we've seen people that used to be regulars in here that just sit at home now, you know what I mean, with their you know, Nespresso in their robe and just watch it online, and they love it. It's their new way to do church. And by the way, it's not doing church, but that's a whole nother sermon. Um, but but that, that, that's their new deal. Do you know why it's so rad and why it's so appealing? Because none of you are there. There's no, there's no relationships that need to happen. Because relationships are hard. Like close contact Christianity, Schaefer, is hard. It's difficult. It's a challenge. And so, if we can eliminate that, and these guys are doing that, they just just want God to look at all the rad things they're doing for him, minus anything that has to do with an actual another human being. And God's saying it's all about what you do with other human beings. And Jesus is showing us that mercy, not sacrifice, right? Mercy, love, compassion, kindness, forgiveness, patience. You know what they all have in common? They're relational. It requires us to be in relationship with someone else to walk in any of those fruits, any of them. We can't do them alone. And not only do they talk, take people to do it with, they take imperfect people to walk in those things with, if you think about it. Super interesting. requires relational engagement with imperfect people. It's not a coincidence that this text came up right now because last week I was preaching this text in Lapine. And like I said, in two weeks, that warming center is about to open. And those people are going to start trickling into our Sunday morning worship services. We We need to see this. We need to see Jesus doing this. We need to hear his words here to us. Mercy, not sacrifice. And it looks like this. It looks like this. Because we're all going to be taxed. We're going to be challenged. It, it, again, it would be easier to not do it. It's the same here, thing here in 3R. I love some of the things you, you guys are doing. Carol, like the, the idea of going... We're taking, you guys are taking meals. We're taking meals across the street to that school. To those teachers who are teaching your kids things that are contrary to truth. And we're bringing them food to say I love you, it's mercy, it's an act of mercy that we do it, and I, and I get it, I get all the reasons we shouldn't be doing it, and it probably looks bad, and some of you might even be mad about it, but we're doing it because of this. Mercy, not sacrifice. That's the stuff. Our building's the same way. Every single day, both buildings are being used by the community. People that don't even go to church here, people that don't even believe in Jesus are coming in here rent free and benefiting off of our buildings. Why? Mercy, not sacrifice. Connections, love. The gospel has to go to these people. It needs to. And it would be so much easier to lock the doors and shut the building down from Sunday to Sunday because of the messes that are made and the things that are misplaced. But we're not going to because mercy and not sacrifice. We're not perfect in this. I'm not, I'm not trying to go on a rant to say that we are, but we do believe this stuff. When we teach this stuff and see it in our scriptures, we believe it. And we want, we want to know what that looks like in our context. And we want you guys to buy into that. We want you guys to experience to, it too. We want you guys to be a part of it too. And you guys, you guys have been. like it's so, it's so cool to see how we're unified in here with believing what it is we're reading and hearing about. All right, um, don't know where I'm at. Uh, so essentially, uh, what Jesus goes on to do here in verse 13, the very first part of 13, sorry, this thing keeps falling on me, is uh, give, he's going to give these guys some homework. Wow, it's 11:17. He, uh He actually gives these guys some homework in 13. He says to them, go and learn what this means. So they get a homework assignment and and they can, they can go and learn what this means because what he says next is found in their scriptures, right? Like, like they're, 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 they're supposed to be experts in. He quotes from Hosea six, six here, and, and he's quoting from it to make known to them that they are, what they are seeing him do is not new. It's old, right? Like it's not wrong, but it's right. Like, it's, it's always been there. Mercy, not sacrifice. And of course, Jesus himself will go on to do both perfectly. Once for all, the mercy and the sacrifice. But they don't get it. They always get the do part, but never the done part. They always get the work for it part, but never the rest in it part. Mercy, not sacrifice. That's what God desires. And I think it's clear in our scriptures, the teachings of Jesus, like all of them, that our greatest, our greatest obstacle, people, to salvation is not worshiping some statue, like some form of idolatry, or, or even an excessive love for the world, or even an excessive hate of others, or even great riches and money. Like our, our greatest obstacle to the gospel is self-righteousness. It's self-righteousness. This, this is man's greatest blinder, biggest obstacle to Christ. And it is because it gives us the impression, it gives us the sensation of being right while continuing to be completely wrong. That's what these guys are trapped in, right? And, and, and thus, that's why sinners only <laughs> is the theme here. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, now we can shut this down. Okay. And I want to shut it down, actually, in Luke chapter 18, if you would turn there real quick. Luke chapter 18. You guys are familiar with this, this parable? So Jesus, Jesus basically here is reiterating this truth and error of who God is for and what he wants in a parable now. And not so oddly enough, it's about a Pharisee and a tax collector. A Pharisee and a tax collector. Verses 9-14, through he told this parable, that's Jesus, to some who trusted, listen listen to these words, in themselves, that they were righteous, and treated others with contempt. Here we go. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I, I, I thank you that I'm not like these other men, these extortioners. The unjust, the adulterers, or even like even like this tax collector, right? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So homie comes in, loud and proud, you know, grandstanding. But he's grandstanding, right? He probably he stands in a place, even though he separates himself, because remember he's better than everybody else, so he can't exactly stand, but he's in a position where you know he's being seen by everybody else. He's probably even talking pretty loud, you could imagine as this is going on, right? And there's, there's two things that he prays here. To, to God, to the God of the universe, number one, notice how much better I am than everybody else. And, 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 and number two, notice why I'm better than everybody else. These are, these are basically the two things that he goes into here, right? Let we get the other guy, verse 13, but the tax collector is standing afar off. So here, this guy is also separating himself, but in an opposite way. Like, this dude would be a corner of the room, like shadows, right? Standing afar off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The conclusion? I tell you, this man, this tax collector, went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I love this parable. Don't you love this parable? <laughs> I absolutely love it. And I mean, the, like, the reason I love it is because I'm a sucker for a good underdog story. I think we're all a sucker for a good underdog story. And this is one. And, I, and I'm a sucker for it because I was one. Like, I love that this is a reality. That, that, that we can actually... Be aware of and acknowledge, and be honest about our state, our sin condition, our depravity, and be rewarded for being exposed. For being, oh, it's actually the opposite of what we tend to think. Oh, I got to hide this thing, right? Adam and Eve, when they fell, they knew where they were. What? They knew where they were naked. You could say it. It's it's okay. We're that kind of church. Um, they were they were naked. So what do they go? The first thing they do is they, they, they run for cover. They, they have to hide that. It's, but, it, but it's the opposite, and I, lo, I love that. The tax college, he's exposing him. So he's taking everything off that he has to hide behind, and he's saying, I am what you already know I am, and I hate it. Have mercy on me. That's the only place we can go. That's the only thing we can, we can say. When we've come to a point of a fully and completely and honestly acknowledging what we actually are is God have mercy on me. And that's what he does. That's one of the reasons I love this thing. The other reason I love this parable is because I love stories that stick it to the man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that, little, that little rebel, you know, in me. Like, don't we love that? We love it when, like, we, we love it when we see those who oppress others and condemn others and look down their nose at others get their come up ins. That's what my grandma used to say. When we'd we'd go to play cards, a card game, (laughs) she'd be like, you ready for your comeuppance? I'd be like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? That's what she meant, like justice. (laughs) We love it when we see like these people get justice. Like that dude got what he deserves, which is nothing because he thinks he's rad and God knows otherwise, right? And therein lies our error, even still. Still as Christians, because I would suspect that as I read through that account, you, just like me, at some point, looked at that Pharisee and said the exact same thing that he said about the tax collector. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this guy. I'll just admit it like I do it every time I read it. Like, like, to me, the tax collector's so rad, and the Pharisee's such a jerk, and it's like, I, I find myself doing that. I'm, 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 like, hoping for his condemnation. I'm thinking I'm better than him, in a way. Which, which kind of brings us to nugget number three. Just because we're the tax collector doesn't mean we can now snub the Pharisee. Like, like this thing plays both ways, you know what I mean? Be, because Jesus is his only hope, just like Jesus was our only hope right like like there is no validation at all whatsoever as christians for us to now think that we're better than anyone because we're not jesus saved us from that kind of thinking not to it from it the best thing about me is jesus and i'm going to let you in on something the best thing about you is jesus the best thing about any of us is jesus period plus nothing We are what we are, people, because of him. Because of him. And the pattern in all of Jesus' teachings is that he's always one step ahead of us regarding the constant reminder of our own depravity. See, he's an equal opportunity offender, like in everything that he teaches, right? He, he, He never lets us get away completely innocent because we're not. And because this is true, this parable is a paradox, it's a paradox. If we're reading it right, it's first a truth exposing the Pharisee's self-righteousness and second, a truth exposing ours. Even still, which upon revelation should cause us to go back into the presence of God with the same posture and heart as the tax collector in this parable and admit our sin and plead his mercy. We go back to the floor. We go back to the same place. Right? And so... It may be helpful even for us to remember this here. When Jesus says to the Pharisees, I came not to call the righteous but sinners, he's immediately rebuking their blindness and their self-righteousness toward their own sinfulness, but he's also making a declaration of hope, which includes them. It's a declaration of hope because they too are sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, even Pharisees, even Pharisees. In fact, who was the last misfit that Jesus would ever tap for his team? A guy named Saul of Tarsus. Not just a Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He wasn't junior varsity, he was varsity. Varsity religious guy. Right? All-star Paul. He was an all-star. He was the Michael Jordan of the religious sect. Right? Paul of Tarsus. He was so blind and so right in his own eyes that he persecuted the very people of Jesus. That's what his life was all about, killing and imprisoning the church of God, right? But because God desires mercy and not sacrifice, he caused Paul to experience some, right? Like the mercy of God slapped Paul so hard that he would never be the same and he would never look back as a result. The majority of our New Testament is written by this guy. 13 of the books that we have. 14 if you want to include, if you want to be brave and include Hebrews, right? Like most of our New Testament scriptures are written by this guy. So does God desire to save Pharisees too? Yeah, he saves Pharisees too. And so in closing, that was long. Some of these people that stayed on today are like, I'm so glad I stayed on today. Salvation, hope, the kingdom of God is for sinners only. It is for sinners only. It does not matter how we sinned or who we were or what we did or how far down we went or how pretty and how clean our sinning was, right? The gospel is for all who need it and know it, everybody. Therefore, let's make sure that we are not being an obstacle to that, Let's not be an obstacle to that. Let's be a bridge. Right? As followers of Jesus, and carriers of his gospel, there is no place for discrimination or favor or preference or privilege. Just mercy. And such is the lesson from the calling of Matthew. Lord, thank you once again for your word and your truth, which is super sharp. And, um, absolutely able to correct and so i thank you for um, causing me to see you again how you interact how you see people what you desire and i pray that we would all take it to heart and that we would all find ways in our lives to be more like you in your name to your glory we pray amen